Hey everybody, it's Jason. Before we get started with this episode, which I think you're going to love, I just want to mention you are listening to the free version of The Incomparable, and thank you for listening. If you don't want to hear a bunch of ads inserted in the episode, including this one, and to get episodes a little bit sooner and with a lot of bonus content, go to theincomparable.com slash members, sign up. We've got plans starting at $5 a month or $60 a year. In addition to the special edition version of this podcast, which has no ads, you get it early, and it's got extra material that we cut from the main show. There's also so much more you get when you're a member. You get access to our bootleg recordings, which are posted immediately after we record an episode of this podcast or many of the other podcasts on the network. There's bonus material we drop in our first class feed. If you like Total Party Kill, all of those live sessions get posted as well. And there's a great member community on Discord that you get access to. So many reasons to become a member, especially... If you're listening to this and you're like, you know what? I don't want to hear these ads anymore. I'm tired of it. We have a solution for you. $5 a month, $60 a year. There's other higher levels too, but pretty easy to get you in the door. Check it out. Theincomparable.com slash members. And regardless, thank you for listening to The Incomparable. On with the show. The Incomparable, number 680, August 2023. Hello everyone and welcome back to The Incomparable and to an echo of a little show called Unjustly Maligned with which an increasingly small number of you may be familiar. I'm your host Anthony Johnston and once upon a time back in the long ago days of 2015 I launched a show on this very network called Unjustly Maligned. The premise of the show was simple. I invited a guest to tell me why something that most people think is terrible a movie, a book, a TV show, a game, whatever, is actually really great, at least in their opinion, and during the show I asked them to explain and defend it. This is not quite that show, uh, because for one thing, today I have more than one guest, but think of it as an homage by popular demand. And because this is the incomparable mothership and we love a draft, yes, this is going to be a draft, although I suspect the chances of anyone getting sniped on this particular episode are pretty low. So joining me, and hopefully not getting sniped, are Chip Suddeth. Hello, Chip. Hi. Well, I guess I am going to get one through, but I'm expecting that I'm going to be sniped and sniped and sniped again because it's me. That would be hilarious <laughs> if you don't get sniped at all. I'll love it. Uh, we also have Gene McDonald. Hello, Gene. Oh, hi. I'm excited. To, to not be sniped. And uh, so I guess hopefully I'm getting one of mine through and Chip and I don't have the exact same list. <laughs> no, this isn't mind meld. We don't want that. <laughs> we also have Sarah Bickton. Sarah, welcome. Hi. I just feel like I'm giving being given the opportunity to show how bad my taste in films is. <laughs> That's exactly what Unjustly Maligned was always about. Uh, and finally, we surely could not do a show like this without him. It's Monty Ashley. I think it's weird that the people who are drafting first are worried about getting sniped, and I'm not worried about getting sniped at all. Oh, I don't think that's strange at all. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's exactly what I would expect from you. Uh, by the way, just so everybody out there knows, the original Unjustly Maligned show can still be found at theincomparable.com slash UMP. There were yeah, 87 episodes. Yeah, yeah, there were 87 episodes, and oh you will hear... You will hear a couple of the same voices there that you will hear on this show, but not all. Uh, 
Um, I'm still, I'm still pretty proud of that show, actually. I mean, one of the, one of the reasons that I started it, one of the things that I think made it stand out was it had a focus on, uh, positivity. Like Mm -hmm. there's, you know, part of the philosophy behind it was there's a million places online where you can go and find people who will tear down something popular, but there are precious few places where you can find people giving love to something that's unpopular. Uh, and so I thought that was, you know. That was a good thing to do, and it's it's what the show was all about. Well, thank goodness we don't need any more positivity online anymore, and that's yeah. totally taken care of. Yeah. <laughs> We've had the our The unjustly maligned piece of the podcast was that it was unjustly retired, Anthony. Yeah, well, you know, life gets in the way. But here we are today. Now, today we are focusing just on movies in this particular show. So I am asking all of the panelists here, to draft because again this is a draft movies which were critical disasters and or box office flops and then convince me and everybody else that they shouldn't have been and that those movies are in fact unjustly maligned and we're going to go around the panel in the same order in which i introduced them which monty being an old hand knew <laughs> mentioned earlier <laughs> uh, so that means chip we start with you what is your first pick well my initial thought for my first pick would have been to break the rules a little bit. Once upon a time, uh, Moises drafted all of soccer. I was tempted <laughs> to draft all of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which has fallen on some hard times recently, um, certainly critically. And then the more I thought about it, the more that, no, it's kind of justly maligned to the, the, the state that it's in today. So I'm well, going to narrow also, focus. It's kind, of hard to, it's kind of hard to justify saying that one of the possibly the most successful series of movies in history is unjustly maligned. I don't think that really counts. Absolutely. But it is it is fashionable uh, to have fun um, at the expense of, uh, you know, if something's got too popular, it's time to take it down a few pegs. Um, but I am going to pick a specific Marvel movie that hasn't come across very well, but I actually kind of love. And no, it's not Thor 2. It is <laughs> Eternals. Oh, wow. Oh. I claim uh, I claim Eternals as being an unjustly maligned movie. Um, Why? Eternals um, star the the cast of Eternals is weird and fascinating. Angelina Jolie as a superhero, Kumail Nanjiani as a superhero. Um, there is a level of Kur- Jack Kirby weirdness that really hasn't been applied to a lot of other marvel movies um it's it's still recognizably part of the marvel formula but uh there is some weirdness and independence uh to it and i adore the cast i adore the cast and the family relationship between the cast members the eternals are have been hiding on earth uh uh protecting humanity from the deviants for thousands of years and the the members of the eternals are more family than um than generic super team and they relate to each other that way uh characters like fastos uh kingo um are 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 just delightful and entertaining and there is a 
um, the reveal of the villain um, two thirds of the way through the movie comes as a surprise to anyone who wasn't paying close attention to the trailer. Um, but um, but um, it's just big and weird, uh, and it has the potential if they actually follow through with it. And I think there's a question of it of expanding the scope of the MCU um, into some more weirdness as opposed to um, your, your, your secret invasions and your Falcon and the winter soldiers and some of the uh, missteps on the television front. Um, I love it. I, I, I love it. Um, I recognize that it's not perfect, but I do think that it is un, un, not only unjustly maligned, uh, but unjustly, I think it was regarded as the chink in the armor for the um, supposed decline of the MCU, and I just don't think that that's fair. I, I seem to, I seem to recall that a lot of the criticism about it was that it was just really slow and like overly long as well. Which which may which which may be a just justly maligned bit, um, but um, but I don't care. Anthony, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Isn't there, though, like a, like a planet-sized statue sticking out of half the Earth that nobody has mentioned in any series since that film? <laughs> I think it's best to think of Eternals as a standalone and not actually part of the MCU. That fixes a lot of the problems. Yeah, like Marvel's equivalent of Elseworlds or something. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that there was a uh, tossed off line in one episode. Sure, um, <laughs> this is also the movie that uh, supposedly set up, um, you know, Harry Styles's introduction to the MCU, and that can be a pro or a con if you <laughs> if you like. Um, but I don't care. It's weird, and therefore I like it. <laughs> well weird is generally generally a good thing here on on justly maligned so yeah um wow eternals i did not expect that to be the first <laughs> first pick so well done uh gene what about you what's your first pick well uh back in uh 2017 when i first uh joined this podcast uh community and with my uh show Sestracast, um I proposed a unjustly maligned episode to you, Anthony, that we were going to do, but just never got scheduled. And then the show was no more. So I have to start with that movie um, from 1995. And uh, it's uh, Waterworld. Oh, oh I, yes. I remember that I you suggested my... that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I... I, I am such a huge Waterworld fan. It's it's uh, kind of embarrassing, and but uh, not really because I do think it is a great film in a lot of ways. I'm not gonna uh, I'm not gonna uh, just you know unjustly maligned doesn't mean that it is also a masterpiece. I would not say that, but it is one of my favorite pieces of entertainment ever. And uh, so Waterworld, just from the moment that the movie starts with the universal, you know, logo, the earth, and then the ice caps melt and the whole earth in the actual, you know, universal logo is just one big ball of water. That's Waterworld. Um, and then I just, I, I mean, 
has, has, I guess I don't want to say, has everyone seen it? I mean, it doesn't I, I really saw, matter. I yeah. saw it in the theater when it came out. Of course out. I've yeah. seen it. Who are you talking yeah. to? Yes. Okay. Um, so I don't want, I mean, obviously spoilers for, it for a 30 really year old movie. Yeah. Don't worry about that. A 30 year old movie that every, you know, ha, even if you haven't seen it, you probably think you've seen most of it because uh, um, there's a lot, you know, it, it, people know about Waterworld. I remember when it came out in the theater, and I didn't go. I'm not sure exactly why, but it coincided with a summer I was living with my parents um, as as an adult, and my brother came and moved in too. So there was two of us adult children in the house, staying up late at night surfing cable t- television, which was this. It wasn't new in 1995, but it was. Um, you know, it's not nothing like it is today. So uh, we stumbled across Waterworld on cable and we probably started somewhere in the middle. I said, oh, this is that movie Waterworld that everybody thinks is terrible. And then we just watched whatever part of it we watched and we watched it like at least 10 more times that <laughs> summer because we loved it. Now, we are from Miami, Florida, so we're, you know, wa- fans of the ocean and of big sailing boats and all that. And that was, uh, so just watching those sequences, I think one of the things about Waterworld, you know, which it, it, so it was expensive. It was the most expensive movie, um, for its time at like came in at like a crazy $175 million in 1995. And that, you know, big part of that was they, you know, they built the sets um, on the water, they were going to, they're filming, you know, on the water itself instead of using a lot of, um, special effects and the set got, uh, destroyed by a hurricane and they had to rebuild it. And, uh, I think that it had so many high profile, you know, disasters and probably there's some like element of like, oh, not Kevin Costner again, um, thinking he can do anything. Um, so I, I credit that as well. You know, I think there, I think there was, there was a blood bit of in Costner the water, fatigue. literally. <laughs> yeah, Costner fatigue, and when it, you know, it, it just had, it was known to be, you know, just ridiculously expensive, and it, um, you know, it was never going to be a smash box office hit in relative to its, uh, to its uh, budget, but. So I do. I actually love Kevin Costner in this. I think he he is he he was the one to play the role because it's his character is this like mysterious mutant humanoid floating around, very self sufficient, completely self sufficient with his sailboat. Um, not a not necessarily a do gooder at all, but um, you know, just like the it was a bit of a western. Of course, it was also called Mad Max on the water. Um, so, but he was, um, he was the right, I think the right actor to play that like mysterious type person. I mean, none of the characters are, are super fleshed out in any, in any sense, Not, but the, the, then there's Dennis Hopper, who is just a joy to watch in this, I think. It and is one of also, Hopper's most madcap performances, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, then, uh, yeah, there's even a, a small cameo with jack black you know young jack black um really and yep he's the he's the pilot of the plane there's a plane that comes after them one of the smokers planes and uh 
gets uh, shot by their uh, their harpoon weapon on this on the catamaran and eventually like you know i mean they shoot him down but he's like a crazy insane pilot i mean all those those followers of um dennis hopper's character are kind of insane i mean that's that's part of the story so yeah and using uh the exxon valdez as a plot point and finally using mount everest as a plot point (laughs) i think (laughs) it was just so much fun and uh i Really, I will fight anyone who tries to tell me it's not worth sitting down for two hours and 39 minutes to watch oh, it. That was the other thing. Yeah, I'd forgotten how long it was. I suppose it was a, a swing for the fences thing, wasn't it? But uh, good Lord. Yeah. Can I shout yeah. out the Waterworld stunt show really quickly? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Where's that? Oh, wow. The Waterworld stunt show opened in Hollywood, Universal Studios Hollywood, October 1995. Uh, That's just a few months after the movie came out. It opened in Japan in 2001. It opened in Singapore 2010. Universal Studios Beijing opened in 2021. It has a Waterworld stunt show in it. The Waterworld stunt show is the best of the stunt shows you can see at theme parks. It's incredible. Is it still going at Universal? Yes, it's yes. still going at all five of those Universal parks. <laughs> wow. It's a worldwide phenomenon. For a, yeah. a movie that most people watching that have probably never seen. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> For a That's 28-year-old true. movie. That is crazy. All right. Well, all right. Waterworld. Thank you, Gene. Uh, who's next? Sarah, what have you got for us from the first round? Okay, so I, I thought I could have sworn this was going to get sniped um maybe it's because david's not here and i told you i really i don't think there's going to be as much sniping here as you all seem to think (laughs) okay we're um, in terror of this thing (laughs) yeah um because so i'm i'm going back to an old well it's the, the movie itself is not that old but um i have loved the directors of this film since um a really weird and i do mean weird indie a uh, film came out in the 90s called Bound. And oh. um, yeah, and nobody, uh, and I'm not picking Bound because nobody knows Bound. Um, I know uh, Bound. Yeah, Everybody but it was knows an, and it, loves Bound. Yeah. It, yeah, it's, 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 it's a loved film. And it's an amazing, if you haven't seen Bound, good Lord, go see Bound. Um, uh, I feel like it's like Gen X queer women of a certain age, uh, just like this is. <laughs> This is like uh, like mana from heaven, but anyway, leaving aside bound, um, this film, I've I've enjoyed it, and I go back and rewatch it, and I don't care how many people poke fun at this film because it's it's like this wonderful warm bath of visuals, and its scope is huge, which is like one of my. So like happy places is films with scope and incredible world building, like unnecessary world building, which is the, the like my my pinnacle for things I absolutely love is completely unnecessary deep world building for a film that that just just doesn't need it. Um, and I think you all know where I'm going. This is Jupiter Ascending. Nice. Um, which was, been which was Atlas, though. Yeah, and yeah, Jupiter Ascending <laughs> was on Unjustly Maligned. Was it really? Yeah. I think Serenity okay, well, Caldwell. Then I, 
Uh, okay. Yeah. Given, no, 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 given but, my my, yeah, my long distance it. love for Serenity Coldwell, I'm I'm calling that um, definitely <laughs> because this film <laughs> is glorious. If not for the all time best line of all films everywhere, I have always loved dogs. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> because I mean, really, it it's beautiful. Um, it's. I I kind of headcanon, I don't know if this is true, but that um, the Wachowskis were setting this up for a new uh, multi-film universe. Oh, it was meant to be a franchise, up. no question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. a yeah. post-Matrix post kind of reboot. Um, and Well, not reboot, but um, creating a new space. And th- that's why we have all this deep world building. Um, and you can see it. It's like... Again, it's unnecessary. Um, the fact that apparently bees can recognize royalty. Royalty. <laughs> yes. I, um, um, but yeah, don't for, it's. Don't forget the hover skates. <laughs> the hover skates. Oh, I love oh, them Johnny so rocket much. Boots. Oh, the rocket boots. Oh, they were so good. Um, yeah, just the. Um, oh. I, I, it's like I could go into multiple reasons. If you want to get into a deep dive of why this is such a good film, well, summarize um, for us why do you think it's unjustly maligned? I mean, that's the you know that's the purpose of it. What is it that you think actually people are missing about it? Okay, so the major thing that I love about films, and this may be a Sarah thing, so but I I I don't think I'm the only one. It's beautiful. It is like the visuals are incredible. Um, the Wachowskis got given this budget to create something that was just over the top and incredible and gorgeous. And the visuals and the background and the special effects um, are incredible. And it almost doesn't matter how silly and clunky a lot of the dialogue is, um, because it is. Um, but it's this thing that you can just lose yourself into this wondrous beauty. Um, the scene I particularly like was the bureaucracy scene where they're trying to get, um, uh, oh God, it's com- completely out of my head. Jupiter Jones. Jupiter Jones, um, which is a, a total head fake because um in the background poster, movie film poster, they actually have Jupiter in the background, um, <laughs> and it's nothing to do with the planet Jupiter. But well, regardless. no, they do go to Jupiter. They, they do go to Jupiter, but they, it's they like fly it's through about, the red spot. You know, <laughs> they go through the red spot, but it's about Jupiter. Um, anyway, the scene where she's getting um, going through the bureaucracy. Um, is this wonderful deep dive into a particular American bureaucracy because nobody does bureaucracy like Americans do. Um, and it's it's just oh, this wonderful piece of commentary. And, and it does this throughout the film. And um, I think that's particularly for me is that beauty, that depth, that this film has no rights having. Um, and yet it does. And I think, yeah, for the that's why it's unjustly maligned. So I really liked Jupiter's Sending. I had no intention of watching it until Serenity said she wanted to do it for the show. And so I watched it and I immediately loved it. And everything you said there is true, 
But the reason I loved it is because it's fun. It's, oh, it's just, fun. it's so much fun. Everybody's having a good time and you can tell. And there's there's flippancy and yeah, it's just, it's fun to watch. And the best description I ever saw of it was that it is Dune for 14-year-old girls who live on Tumblr. And I think <laughs> oh that my is, God, it totally is. It's so accurate. <laughs> and that's why I love it. <laughs> because it's got that crazy, chaotic joy that something like that would have. Um, so yeah, I, I absolutely love Jupiter Ascending. I and wish they had made more. Sean Bean being broody and sad. Being Sean Bean, and yeah. Being Sean Bean. It's <laughs> like, <laughs> what more can you say? And absolutely. then Eddie Redmayne chewing every single oh, piece of scenery devouring like, it yeah just devouring it like he's like hasn't eaten for like 12 years and and <laughs> was just like munching his way through everything it was just oh i yeah if you haven't seen this film go see this film all right finally then monty what have you got for us on your first pick uh well jupiter ascending was very high on my list but the top of my list so you guys know how Margot Robbie is in Barbie, which is making a billion dollars right now. Mm-hmm. Before Barbie, mm-hmm. she was called box office poison, which is crazy just because she was in a movie called Babylon. Oh, Babylon <laughs> cost $80 million and only made 63. Clearly a flop. Clearly counts. I love Babylon so much. Uh, what a, what a world we live in where a movie that takes in $63 million is considered a flop. <laughs> Look, it cost 80 I'm oh, yeah, no, it. No, I know it counts. I'm just saying it's what a crazy uh, world we live in. It also got Go some pretty bad reviews, I think. Uh, people were put off by it being over three hours. Uh, also, the way the main character, well, one of the main character gets absolutely covered in elephant dung right at the top of the movie kind of put people off. Here's the thing. The thesis of Babylon is that making movies is a horrible job full of every indignity one can imagine, and it's all worth it. So Babylon has these scenes of people just killing themselves to make a movie, and you're thinking, this is dumb. What are you doing? You're going to get yourself killed. Come on, stop it. And then you see the movie they make, and you go, oh, it's so beautiful. I love movies. And then they go back to making the movies and it's horrible again. Um, I think of Babylon as a love letter to cinema. (laughs) I'm sorry. Um, Also, there are wild sex party scenes in this movie. Really, (laughs) really wild sex party scenes. Like uh, the movie is named after, I think, the book Hollywood Babylon, but it goes full... I can't describe the sex party scenes. You just have to experience them. They are crazy and they have an amazing soundtrack. The soundtrack in Babylon is so good. So Babylon is a maximalist movie. It has everything in it and some people can't handle it and I can. Let's put it that way. I love (laughs) Babylon. Wow. It's crazy that like one movie like that can somebody can be considered box office poison because I mean that came... If I'm, if I remember correctly, that came after she'd already played uh, Harley Quinn in the DCU. Also movies. a bomb. 
Well, sure, but she was generally considered to be one of the best things in those movies. As yeah, and she's one of the best things in Babylon. But if you keep making movies that don't make money, that's what happens. Yeah, I guess. I guess. So well, I'm she's glad re- that she's made a movie that made all the money in the world, and now she gets to do whatever she wants. She's certainly redeemed herself now. Yeah, I mean, Barbie, at time of recording, I think is number two for the year worldwide. <laughs> like, yeah, it's it, just behind it, uh, Super Mario Brothers. Right, and it's on track to possibly overtake Super Mario Brothers before the year's out because it just seems to be keep running and running. But yeah, Babylon, wow. What a Babylon is an incredible movie. <laughs> it's a very long movie, my goodness. Yeah, it is. I, I'm. Uh, this is a complete aside, but I will say I am not a fan of the modern trend for two and a half to three hour movies. That's like, <laughs> I, I'm an old man. I cannot sit in the cinema for that long. That's just. Well, Babylon picks you up with these exciting sex party scenes every 20 minutes or so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear, that doesn't help. <laughs> Let's take a brief break from the podcast to tell you about our sponsor. This episode of The Incomparable is brought to you by Factor. The busy fall season is just around the corner. You might be looking for some wholesome, convenient meals for your jam-packed days. Factor is America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, and it can help you fuel up fast with chef-prepared, dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track with your healthy lifestyle. I have tried Factor's meals. You know the thing that I like the most about them is the high quality of the ingredients. To be frank, I have gotten some things in the mail, like boxes to my door that contain stuff that was eh, iffy, not very good. I get these chicken meals from Factor, and it's like white meat chicken, and it's really high quality. The veggies are high quality. Just very impressed. This is not one of those random sort of things where you're like, mystery meat? (laughs) What is it? It's just really good, high quality stuff. With Factor, you can skip the extra tip to the grocery store. They have fresh, never frozen meals, and they're ready in just two minutes. 34 different flavor-packed options to choose from every week. And if you want something special, and I know you do, level up with Gourmet Plus options prepared to perfection by chefs and ready to eat in record time so you can treat yourself to upscale meals with premium ingredients like broccolini, leeks, truffle butter, and asparagus. Like I said, they're ingredients. They're really good. And keep up your energy with lunch to go. Factors effortless wholesome meals like grain bowls and salad toppers. No microwave required at all. And then to finish your order, you can throw in 45 different add-ons, including breakfast items like apple, cinnamon pancakes, bacon and cheddar egg bites, and smoothies. And you can rest assured you're making a sustainable choice because factor offsets 100% of their delivery emissions to your door along with sourcing renewable electricity and featuring sustainably sourced seafood head to factormeals.com slash snell 50 that's my last name and the number 50 and use code snell 50 that's the one to get 50% off your first box that's code snell 50 s-n-e-l-l-5-0 at factormeals.com slash snell50 to get 50% off your first box. Thank you to Factor for supporting the incomparable. Back around then. Round two. Chip, what have you got for us? Did you say you don't like long movies? <laughs> oh no, oh no. <laughs> what have I done? Did you say you don't like slow-paced movies? Well, that depends what it is. Do you say you don't like ponderous movies that try to say more than perhaps they're effectively telling do you say you don't like 
franchise movies. Oh, okay. Um, I was just about to say, is this a Chris Nolan movie? But maybe not then. All right. It is not. It is not. It he is makes a, franchise it, movies. What are you talking about? It was it made a one freak, franchise this, movie. He made three this, Dark Knight what, movies, Anthony. This, sorry, but, Dark Knight, Batman, DC, franchise. Uh, I, I meant one franchise. He's made one series of franchise movies. Oh, but, okay. Retracted. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, this is a movie that started a franchise. This is a movie that has gotten some level of redemption after the fact. People are sort of um, re-evaluating it, um, but it's certainly not beloved. And it spent a long time being kicked around and honestly being described as a motionless picture. Ah. Oh, okay. Now I know what it is. <laughs> I am absolutely talking about Star Trek The Motion Picture. Which is an excellent uh, film. I rewatched I it myself. I love that film. Yeah, I rewatched <laughs> it myself not that long ago. And yes, it is slow and everything, but it's still really good, and it looks gorgeous. Um, I can you you compare it to uh, Wrath of Khan and things like that, and that was sort of that moment that crystallized everybody's uh, opinion that you know this 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 slow movie was just not very good. Not when you compare it to. Uh, Ricardo Montalban uh, chewing the scenery. Um, but um, Star Trek, the motion picture has a lot going for it. Maybe not in the costume department, but absolutely <laughs> in terms of just being about something different than, um, you know, Star Wars, Star Wars uh, reset everybody's expectations for what um, uh, science fiction cinema could be. And, Star Trek The Motion Picture actually straddles the line between the old 2001 idea of cerebral science fiction. Say boring. Just say boring. It's fine. <laughs> well, so many people called um, Star Trek 1 boring, too. Um, and it's it's not it's not um, it is slow, but I don't think it's boring. Um, I do think that it. Um, captures some uh, captures enough of the personalities of the old characters um and the old t and, and the old tv show um while raising the stakes um uh, you know threatening earth for the first time um having um really e excellent um special effects it reintroduces everybody to the characters um and it presents the presents the promise of another five-year mission of um of uh, honest to god strange new worlds um and um yeah uh, everybody's reaction here um i i suppose that this was an easy one to pick that would nobody would actually call it maligned these days or at least most of the po folks on this panel wouldn't call it maligned uh, but it has been heavily maligned in the past yeah i think, I think it's a lot maligned. of maligned yeah. Yeah. A, yeah, a lot of critics uh, yeah. and the public would call it would malign it for sure. It, but I'm on your was, side. Uh, yeah, I agree. Rescued by Star Trek Five, um, and uh, <laughs> it didn't. Be, it was no longer. Well, I mean, maybe three, no longer the worst of the TOS movies. Well, I think that's fair. <laughs> when it came out, people were like, "This is the worst Star Trek movie." Now, well, there's lots worse Star Trek movies than this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm totally with you, Chip. Uh, as I say, I rewatched it recently, and I still I maintain. I mean, yes, it is slow, and the costumes are not great. DeForest Kelly's outfit uh, and that false beard, <laughs> especially, are that that's pretty woeful. Um, 
the special edition edit makes it even longer. Yes, that's and, the one I saw. <laughs> yeah, and and you watch it and you listen to it, and you know that Gene Roddenberry loved it to bits, which is why that he basically tries to recreate it when he uh, does uh, Next Generation. Doesn't matter. Yes, I love indeed. it. Right, but I, I maintain that at the core of it, the concept, the whole, the Vija story mm-hmm. is brilliant and that is exactly mm. the sort of cerebral sci-fi idea that i love and so yeah that rescues the whole movie for me i mean there are good performances in it as well but yeah the the central vija concept just rescues it all for me because i love that who's next gene what have you got for us on your second pick well i'll tell you what i want what I really, really want. Oh, yes. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, you oh I've got a theme going. About? I get it. I've got a special edition <laughs> box set of this downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the 1997 Spice World. I actually had kind of forgotten about this, and uh, I was like, "What? Uh, what's going to be on my list? I knew Waterworld, obviously, but then... Uh, Wanna Be, the song from which I was just quoting, for those who don't know, I um, I thought I was put it on the music to wash dishes with, and that came on, and I'm like, oh my god, Spice World, obvious pick. Somebody else will pick it because it's so obvious. But here I am, um, taking it off the board. I love Spice World. I saw it when it came out in the theater because I had to. Uh, young nieces visiting me, and they, of course, were Spice fans. Spice Girl, I don't know, is there a name for Spice Girl fans? But I'm not uh, sure, actually, I, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's... Uh, they, girl power. Um, girl power. I I was, at the time, 30-something, 30 36 or 7, and so I, I was not really... A, fan of the Spice Girls. I wasn't really paying that much attention and they um, wanted to go see it. And of course, that's part of my, um, always my strategy to be the favorite aunt is you never say no. <laughs> and uh, I said, sure, let's go. And um, and I had the, I mean, I, I suppose it always helps. Like I had the the absolute lowest expectations. And by the end of it, I was like, that was awesome. <laughs> that was so much fun. It's such a fun movie. Unfortunately, there's just like a, a sexist bias against five girls doing a movie, you know, that is pretty much what the Beatles did with yep. Hard Day's Night, you know, but... Well, they, and especially okay. having the audacity to do one that is self-aware. That's the other thing. Like, that, it is quite, right. quite meta, this movie, in many places. Yes. And they, they, it is, it's self-aware. It's, um, they know what they're doing and they, they portray themselves as, you know, as women with total agency over what they're doing. (laughs) They, they really, um, they're brave and they're smart and they're creative and they're the best friends, not just to each other, but also to their friend who's pregnant. And, uh, you know, it was a movie that, um, I, so recently I took a class um, on uh, a series called uh, ah, Soundtracked, uh, Bands Playing Themselves in Film. And it started Ooh. with A Hard Day's Night and ra- wrapped with Spice World. And um, we'd also watched Can't Stop the Music, which 
The teacher oh, wow. <laughs> would argue is one of the best movies ever made. I can I I racked my brain. I thought, no, I I just can't. Even though I enjoyed watching it with them, I can't uh, <laughs> I can't uh, stick up for their point of view. The um, the instructor Max, who was awesome, but Max also said this Spice World before we watch this. They said it's a, it's a feminist. It's it's like the feminist movie of the '90s, and and yeah, it was great to watch it again with you know with that in mind. And all the women in the class were the same, like I was. That feeling of like, oh my god, yes, fist pumpingly good. Everything that is bad about Spice World is not that bad, you know. <laughs> so, well, and, and like you so, say, no worse than any of the Beatles films. Yes, which uh, honestly, watching Hard Day's Night again, I thought, God, these guys are annoying. You know? <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> Flag on the play. Take a step back, please. Sorry. You can, ch- I'm not, a- maybe I'm unjustly maligning the Beatles. Go for it. You can, you can, uh, I-, I don't think you're saying you watched Hard Day's Night, Kiss and the Phantom of the Paradise, and Rock and Roll High School, and you said the Beatles were the annoying band. <laughs> <laughs> no. That's no, fair. That's no, fair. no, we watched the the um the village people um who were awesome and also Prince. We watched Purple Rain. So that was the whole class, if anybody is interested. And spi- <laughs> rapping with Spice World. And yeah, so um the of course I love Meatloaf. Um I've loved him since, you know, he was first big. It was when I was in college and could never stop listening to Paradise by the Dashboard Light. Um and uh but all the other cameos i mean there's they're too numerous to mention i'm sure everybody has their favorites but and then alan cumming you know playing a role of a mm. of a, a journalist following them around and he's just perfect and that might be the first thing i ever saw him in um, oh really wow so, i don't know i can't remember what what i mean i remember when he came on the scene but i don't remember what i saw him in first you know so yeah. anyway that i mean this is also like what tw- 20 25 years ago almost 26 oh it's years a, it's ago, a while so. yeah i i did see this in the cinema myself and i mm-hmm. didn't go with like young relatives i just went on my own because <laughs> i was a fan of the spy skills <laughs> okay, i was in my mid 20s at the time and i loved the spy skills so yeah i went to see it not really knowing what to expect and yeah was just thoroughly enjoyed it and loved the as I said, the self-awareness of it, like the stunt with the model bus going over the fake t- tower bridge <laughs> just yes. cracks me up every time. Um, so yeah, as I say, like I've got a special edition, you know, uh, sort of a metal tin with a VHS inside it, which I can't play anymore. Oh, nice. I don't have a VHS player, but I'm, you know, I've still got the, the, uh, the set. It's the one with Jerry on the front. Cause you know, there's a point. Yeah. Who was everybody's favorite Spice Girl? Who was your favorite, Jean? Um, well, I think it would be Scary Spice. Has, yeah, oh. Scary S- Spice. Sarah? Uh, Sporty Spice. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Chip? Yeah, I know. I, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculously predictable. Chip? I, Baby Spice. You were going to say you don't have a favorite then, weren't you? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Monty, come on, I bet you've uh, got a favorite. Yeah, Baby Spice. I like her. Right. Uh, she shows up on AbFab a lot. Oh, does she? Oh. Yeah, she's one of Eddie's clients that she just keeps having is Lulu and Baby Spice, like, <laughs> alternating. 
<laughs> Excellent. But yeah, Spice World, I'm yeah, I'm fully on board with that one, Gene. Great pick. Sarah, what's your second pick? Okay, so I was gonna go with one of my favorite Star Trek films, but I figured I can leave, given Chip's already gone through the motion picture. Um, I figure I can leave that one to bring out your dead. Um so instead, I'm gonna go with another beloved sci-fi franchise um one which gave a backstory to a character that we desperately wanted and when it came out it it was massively promoted and it failed it was the first film in this franchise ever to be a box office failure and Are you going where I think you're going? <laughs> it might be. I'm picking Solo, a Star Wars story. Oh, oh my God. Good choice. Go on. Because, now, ignoring the lead, okay? Which is weird because it's the, the character is the name of the film. But ignoring the lead, there are two characters in this film that I absolutely adore. One of them is the character Kira, played by Amelia Clark. And honestly, I have the belief that if this film hadn't bombed the way it ha did, I think we would have seen Kira crop up so much more in yeah. other parts of the Star Wars universe. I still have a hope that Kira will, but she's one of these, like, the trope of the ridiculously competent woman character that is dropping herself back to support the boyfriend um when he's patently not as good as she is um <laughs> and i just loved amelia clark's presentation of kira in this however the star of this show and the reason i love this show so much is donald glover yes as lando calrissian mm. Mm. potentially the only time in history where a recasted character possibly was better than the original. Oof. Controversial. And I know that's a hard take, <laughs> but I'm going to... Wow. Yeah. I honestly like Donald Glovin's Lando Calrissian better than the original. And, um, I mean, he, he has a cloak cupboard. Seriously? Um, yeah, um, <laughs> Everybody remembers the cape closet. Everybody yeah, remembers yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was just genius. I mean, I don't know who put that in, but it was brilliant. Um, the um, uh, His droid that became the brains of the, um, of the Millennium Falcon, mm -hmm. which, like, RIP that droid, like, staging a slave revolt? I mean, it's awesome, but it was such a fan service. The fans demanded this film. It came out. It's got 
it did a whole bunch of trying to uh, explain away a couple things, setting up some ridiculous things. Like anybody notice those little mini dice that were supposedly hanging from the um, uh, in the cockpit? The, in the cockpit that never no, had been I... in the uh, in any film previously, but suddenly cropped up in all the films and TV shows since. Um, yeah. They, they yeah, gave an origin uh, story to something I literally never noticed. Right. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. never present there. What, what are you guys doing? Um, attempting to explain away the t- 12 parsecs oh, thing. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Um, was just like, it, it's, and I'm going to pick up on Gene's point for, previously. This is a fun film. It is genuinely a fun film. Um, and I just like, yeah, it it um yeah, I, I I will defend this film. I think it's great. Um I, I think the lead didn't do it justice. Um, but everyone else, Paul Bettany for crying out loud. Yeah, um again, possibly this is leading towards scenery cheering again, but I loved him in this. Um uh Woody Harrelson. As the gunslinger that um, is like the others seeing himself in Han Solo and like, oh God, I you're just going to end up like me, et cetera, et cetera. This was also directed by Ron Howard. Um, well, it, it was it, finished by Ron Howard. Ron Howard, yeah, that's true. Yes, because it was originally written before George Lucas wrote this, before Disney bought Lucasfilm. Uh, sorry, but bought the um the Star Wars franchise from Lucasfilm, and um yeah, it got shifted. Now, would could Solo be possibly better as an Andor? Um, maybe, but um, I I just really enjoyed this film. Um, anybody, a lot of people consider it to be like the worst of the Star Wars films. Oh, God, um, no. To which, no. to which I say, have you not watched Rise of Skywalker? I'll stand up for Alden Ehrenreich, actually. I thought that he was good. He played Solo well without doing an impersonation of no, that's true. Harrison okay. Ford in the same way that, uh, what's his face, Wesley is doing uh, Kirk at the moment in Strange New Worlds without doing an impersonation mm. of Shatner. Do people... Do people want uh, Harrison Ford aged down? It doesn't seem like they do, based on the, the Indiana Jones right. movie that's out. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. That's true. So I thought he was okay in the role. I, I'm yeah. not sure I'd say Solo was great, in my opinion, but it certainly was good, genuinely good, and better than, yes, certain other Star Wars movies. But I think it, it had a little too much of that fan service ironically even though you know it was the fans demanding it and everything if they'd actually left out stuff like the kessel run i honestly think it would have been better received they tried to cram a few too many things into it uh, like that i think which was that's ex- uh, a shame that's exactly where i come from you know um harshing other people's squee just really doesn't feel like the vibe uh today uh but this is the first one and i'm the guy who defended the uh, who defended eternals but this is the first one where i'm having a hard time following where you're leading sarah for for exactly the reason that you just mentioned anthony i i i enjoy fans of i i think there's a space i mean okay sometimes there is too much cough picard cough um but um (laughs) 
I, I think there's a place for a film or a piece of media that is designed for the fa- for, for the fans, and d- maybe that maybe that it, I could be convinced that Solo possibly wasn't that film, but I think they haven't done a film since that had the level of fan service that this one did, and I enjoy it for it. The thing is, when I came out of watching Solo the first time round um, and went into the movie theaters, I I went out going. Oh God, that was terrible. Um, I genuinely did not like it. Um, and uh, and the, admittedly, this was post Rogue One, and Rogue One was uh, just genuinely is an incredible film. But I, it took me ages to come back to Solo, and so I rewatched it, and it was absolutely fun in a way that. I don't think a lot of other Star Wars is allowed to be. And I enjoyed the fact that it was fan service. And I was picking up on all these things, which I'd missed the first time around because I didn't feel like I enjoyed the film, that it wasn't Rogue One for me. Um, But I enjoyed, as a Star Wars fan, having those things in there. And I think there is a space for a fan service film. And Solo is it for me. Ironically, I I saw this on opening night at the cinema, being a huge Star Wars fan, big fan of Han Solo. uh, And me and my friend came out and we were like, that was pretty good. And then we saw the, you know, over the coming days, we saw the general reaction to it. We're like, what's everybody's problem? (laughs) It's fine. But yeah, by that point, the the narrative was already written, I guess. Not helped with all the behind the scenes shenanigans Mm. that went on, I think. I think they, uh, you know, contributed to a lot of people's... Uh, predisposition to bad feeling towards it which was a shame all right monty what is your second pick for us uh i'm gonna call an audible which i should explain is an american football reference Uh, (laughs) that's okay i know that (laughs) all right uh gene mentioned the genre of movies where a band appears as themselves and um i tossed out uh, Rock and Roll High School, where the Ramones barely show up, and Kiss meets the Phantom of the Park, where Kiss barely shows up and is dubbed <laughs> over because they could not act. <laughs> but I really like the movie Head, and I feel like a lot oh, of people don't. Yes! <laughs> wow! Uh, Head, of course, is the Monkeys movie. Now, it's made after the Monkeys TV show is over, and that's important because it meant the Monkeys, as in the boys in the band, were actually in control of their own careers for the first time. Uh, the guy in charge of the Monkeys music, Don Kirshner, had gone on to work on the Archies on the theory that cartoon people will not get mad and say they want to play their own instruments the way these <laughs> jerks kept doing. <laughs> So for Head, they went to Jack Nicholson. And this is, you cannot think of Jack Nicholson as, you know, movie star, sunglasses, front row of the Lakers, Jack Nicholson. This is the Jack Nicholson that had just made Easy Rider. This is the Jack Nicholson that came out of Roger Corman. This is countercultural Jack Nicholson. And he made a countercultural monkeys movie called Head, in which... Oh boy, I can't describe what happens in head at all. There's no <laughs> plot whatsoever. I don't think anybody can. It's a fever dream. Right, but it's a fever dream where these boys are trapped on television and need to get out. They're actually going through on screen what they had just been going through in real life. I think head is a fascinating movie. And here's a fun fact. Although I love head, 
I cannot stand the monkeys. I don't like their music or their TV show. <laughs> but I, See, I love their I like movie the to monkeys. death. I like the yeah, monkeys. Yeah, I watch the monkeys. Yeah. I've got, no, I like them as musicians. I've got several of their records. Uh, but yeah, Head is a strange, strange movie. I've only seen it once, uh, but I, I watched it because I'm a fan of the monkeys. And at the end of it, I had that kind of, what did I just watch feeling? Yeah. What, yeah. what you watched was a uh, acid trip, basically. Yeah. An acid <laughs> trip of people trying to escape fame like there's scenes in it where they're running from fans and it's like hard day's night like all of the monkeys is a lot like hard day's night in my opinion but they're running from the concept of fame now rather than individual fans it's a fascinating movie i love it so much head won't you <laughs> wow how long is it actually because i seem to recall I, I remember my impression at the time was that it felt like a long movie but i'm wondering if that's just because i was so confused throughout the whole thing original cut 110 minutes theatrical cut 86 minutes it does oh, feel wow. longer yeah i'm not <laughs> sure which cut i saw <laughs> i, I, I want to be clear it doesn't have a plot it's very avant-garde which is what i like about it because yeah. it's not just some dumb sitcom burned absolutely nothing like the tv show yeah i certainly remember that it just i mean obviously they're playing the same characters in the same sort of super real versions of themselves but yeah it is if all you know of them is the tv show i mean um, at this point they're playing themselves more than they are playing their monkeys characters yeah which then gets into a whole meta conversation about well which of those things is more real because yeah. they are still <laughs> acting and yeah yeah, it's wow. a weird movie. It's a real weird movie. I have not thought about that film in a long time. Thank you, Monty. <laughs> I have never seen it. And I watch The Monkees. I own the DVD set of the show because it's a guaranteed child pleaser um, to oh. watch. And that <laughs> Head is their... not. <laughs> what? Yeah, no, don't Head show is head not to a guaranteed not. child no. pleaser. <laughs> It doesn't. Yes, I. I just has never. I guess I've heard of it, but I just haven't. Uh, yeah, I'd just rather t put on season one again and watch. You know, Davy save the princess, and uh, while they run around. <laughs> yeah, what, and... watch it yourself, but do not put it on for your nephews and nieces. <laughs> okay, thank not unless you. you want to damage them. <laughs> no, do not want to do that. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. All right, let's go around. Chip, what is your third pick? All right, I'm trying not to make this one a, a moral crusade. Um, <laughs> you could say that some of the defense, defenders of this movie are reacting uh, against uh, the movie's critics. So I'm going to try and emphasize what is good about this movie. I do think it is a crime that... It did not restart the franchise, but instead the previous franchise took control of the wheel again. I just want to celebrate Chris Hemsworth and Leslie Jones 
and especially Kate McKinnon. Oh, uh, you sniped me. <laughs> I oh, first love snipe. Ghostbusters 2016. And if I wake up in a certain mood, I think I honestly prefer it to the original, but uh, not consistently. Just don't don't hold me to that. But I love <laughs> Ghostbusters, also marketed as Ghostbusters Answer the Call, um, because uh, apparently it was just too much to um, it's just too much uh, for this movie to uh be be named just Ghostbusters to officially be the thank reboot. You. Yeah, thank you, Chip. I love this film. I, yeah, so, I do as well. It was the funniest movie I saw that year. It, yeah, it, it's it it is so good. Now, um, I you know there may be issues with the use of the former cast and cameos. Melissa McCarthy and Kirsten Wig, uh, Kristen mm. Wig are the are the leads, but the show is. The, the the movie is really made by Kate McKinnon and Leslie Jones. Oh yeah. And yes. and Chris Hemsworth is magnificent <laughs> oh, he's just amazing. in this movie. His comic timing is in this movie is just yeah, absolutely superb. He absolutely deflates himself. I think it's I think it kind of gave him permission to uh take uh Thor in a much more um entertaining direction in the in the MCU movies uh that followed. Ghostbusters is um it's it, it's thematically similar to the original movie. Um the cast is good to great, um, as I've just sort of mentioned. Um and it took a lot of heat, um, not just from the misogynists who downvoted it on Rotten Tomatoes and just sort of the 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 toxic fandom uh, crowd that um, could not tolerate that uh, their beloved uh, franchise, which includes Ghostbusters too, which is justly maligned. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, um, you know. But it also took some heat from folks who said, well, you know, it's actually not that funny. It is that funny. And Kate McKinnon and Leslie Jones in particular are just that cool. I feel betrayed and saddened that, you know, post credits, uh, Leslie Jones asks, uh, does anybody know what Zool means? And I would have loved to have seen where that would have gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was an actual honest to God comic uh, that uh, did some multiversal shenanigans and crossed over this cast with the um, original characters. Um, who knows? Uh, but um, Ghostbusters 2016, answer the call. Love it. It is unjustly maligned. And has a dance scene. Um, just mm-hmm. that dance scene. It just, oh. So that that's actually, you know, that's that's an area of criticism there for me, because it was clearly intended to be part of the um, part of the narrative of the movie and it got cut for time or whatever. Yeah. But they left it in the closing credits. And, you know, yes, I'm glad we got to see it anyway. Yeah. Playing the saxophone or listening to the saxophone. (laughs) (laughs) I I love that bit. Yeah, I, I agree. Like I said, that genuinely, it was the funniest movie I saw that year. Um, and I never understood 
all the hate that it got. And as you say, people saying, oh, it wasn't funny. It's like, yes, it was. It was like, objectively, it was a funny film. I don't know. I love this movie enough that I have not yet seen Afterlife. I'm having sort of a spiteful reaction yeah. to it. Um, I should um, give it a chance, but I haven't yet because I think that this movie is so unjustly maligned. This new one is not a comedy. It's a Stranger Things yeah. Mm. And yeah. that's actually why I haven't seen it. It's not as a reaction to, to the reaction to this. It's more just that I read some reviews and I'm like, that does not sound interesting to me. Um, but, but let us move on. Uh, Gene, what have you got for us on your third pick? Ghostbusters 2016 was the only one on my list or Our first my starters <laughs> that was uh, didn't have the word world in the title. So... Here's my third pick, um, 1991. Vim Vendors directed sci-fi extravaganza, world, the world's greatest road trip until the end of the world. I may be the only person who still watches this movie over and over again, but I, uh, I loved it when I saw it in 91. It is a movie that it just defies categorization it, when it um in the theater release it was two hours and 38 minutes and it was criticized for being too long too unfocused uh they just uh to give you an idea the movie starts out in venice goes to paris berlin lisbon moscow takes a trans-siberian through china to japan san francisco and eventually ends up in the Australian outback. Yeah, and, and then the world the, ends, and then the movie and starts. The, and all <laughs> filmed on location. Um, so for me, seeing it when I first saw it, you know, so I was like 30, 31, and I had traveled a bit. But this movie, uh, and also the, the main character, the, the protagonist of the film is, is a woman. Um, and she is, unfortunately, <laughs> the plot of the film, as I watch it, as I get older, I go... One, I don't like her very much. She's not nice to her, her boyfriend, Sam Neill, who, what is wrong with her? Because Sam Neill, from, from the time of this movie, he, he became my, my number one movie crush. And she's chasing after William Hurt, who is m mysterious and hard to pin down and doesn't seem worth chasing after, to be honest. But um, she's trying to... Uh, he, but he's mysterious and she's looking for adventure and uh, it's set in the future for the time when it was uh, the action starts in 1999 like uh, New Year's Eve is the turning point it has all this technology in it it's not technically a sci-fi movie but it has technology that keeps coming back to me you know over and over again the the video phone booths that they have in Paris, she faxes him video. Uh, in fact, she, she, the main character Claire, she faxes her boyfriend in Paris some video from China. I don't. I even at the time I thought, what would that mean to fax video? <laughs> but you know, this was ninety one, so at least what six, um, sixteen years before the iPhone. What I didn't. Uh, realize until you know later is one of the things he got right is how people would get addicted to their screens you know so by the end of the movie people have screens to watch the video on 
and they can't stop watching and they go kind of literally insane. So whenever I'm like sitting there <laughs> in bed with my iPad, maybe saying like, oh yeah, I'm going to go to sleep in a minute. And I'm like, I remember that scene, you know, I remember how um, the, uh, the, the problem with video. And then one of the, the interesting things, and there's so many, I mean, the, the cast is amazing. Um, but the screenplay is written by Peter Carey, who is a well-known Australian novelist. And the way that the issue of, um, you know, curing people of this, this obsession with their video pads is, you know, that he's in the outback. They've lost all power because of an electric magnetic pulse, but he gets a typewriter and this is Sam Neill's character. And he just writes a novel. Everything that he had on his computer was wiped by the EMP. So he just sits down with paper and typewriter and writes a novel that people, when they read it, like sort of brings them back to reality. So the other characters. So anyway, I loved it. Um, there is a longer five hour director's cut that Criterion what? released not Good that long Lord. ago. And uh, <laughs> I would say, unfortunately, it's hard to get the original edit. Um, because I don't know why, but because for me, I, I, I own it. I own the original edit. I bought it on Apple like decades ago. And so I have it, but they don't have it for sale anymore. And uh, the director's cut, when I watched it, it was because I knew the original release version so well, I could, it's one of the few, if not the only movie where I can say that is new. That's a new scene that, oh, that adds so much to the understanding. But I think the original is good the way it is. So um, there you go. Until the end of the world. Definitely maligned, <laughs> but still. <laughs> uh, uh, also, soundtrack, one of the best all-time soundtracks Yeah, I was ever. waiting for you to get to that. The mm, soundtrack yes, for Until sorry. the End of the World is incredible. Yeah. yeah, I'm just looking at it on Wikipedia. Lou Reed, R.E.M., Elvis Costello, Talking Heads, Julie Cruz, Nene Cherry, Nick Cave, Patti Smith, Depeche Mode, T-Bone Burnett, Daniel Lenoir. It's like, wow, that... <laughs> What a, that is a crazy soundtrack, yeah. All right, Sarah, what have you got for us in round three? Well, most people, I mention this film and they don't know it. Um, so I'm going obscure, like Jean, to a certain extent. <laughs> I'm also not going to claim it's good, but okay, I love it. Okay, and I right. have re-watched this film so many times. So much so that, like Jean, I bought this on Apple um, just to um, have it so I can rewatch it whenever I'm in the mood for watching it. <laughs> it is tropey to the extent that it is such the embodiment of this particular genre of film that it almost exists in the sense that it is all the tropes of the this genre of film. Now, it's called, and uh, a lot of people um, get it confused with a monster flick of the same name, but it is called The Host from 2013. Okay. And most people will not know this, but it was an attempt by Stephanie Meyer 
<laughs> who wrote who wrote <laughs> the Twilight Saga mm-hmm. um, to create a new franchise. And it's the type of film that it was in 2013. All the films coming out at this particular moment were of the strong teenage girl set in a dystopia or post-apocalyptic scenario. Okay, so we get the Hunger Games genre. It's the Hunger Games effect, yeah. yeah. Yes. It, like, there were all, there was a like, ton of these kind of films of mostly teenage girls, but some teenage boys, um, or like with teenage angst, um, existing in these uh, post-apocalyptic dystopian characters. Now, the host is um, set in a universe where the Earth is at its most peaceful time in history. Okay? It it um it has never been at peace like it is now. And the reason why it's at peace is that every virtually every single human being on earth has been taken over by this parasitic alien race called souls. And they are these tiny little um, tenderly aliens about not, not not even as big as your hand that come in and wrap their 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 tendrils around the uh the, the the spine around the back of the neck and take control of you and the the whole point behind what and souls do that they spread from planet to planet and take over the bodies of the species that are there but not changing their society profoundly but just to experience what that society is like and continuing to live as that. And then they move on to the next planet and the next planet and the next planet. Um, Again, I'm going to say it's not necessarily good, but if you love teenage angst and all the feels, then watch this film because it is all the feels you think that you would go in hating the 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 alien parasites but you end up in loving them and seeing in a way you almost see their point in a bunch of ways and then the main film relationship is between a soul called wanderer and a host called melanie now what happens most of the time when a soul takes over a body is that they um, erase. They're just like they, they, they've got far more dominant personality than human beings do, except for a rare, rare few who manage to have two minds in the same body. And the uh, the female character, Melanie. Um, Played by Saoirse Ronan, yeah. Yeah, spot on. Um, it's w- one of her first early like roles before she started to become bigger. Although Diane Kruger and William Hurt are also in this. You get the conversations between uh, Wanderer and who becomes known as Wanda and Melanie um, through this uh, their relationship, and they end up calling each other by the end of the film sister. And that that moment is such a moment of emotional. Uh, catharsis that you just you love it for that and i'm again i'm not going to pretend this film is good but it is it's the embodiment of so many tropes of this of this hunger game genre uh, of this 
a strong female character genre. Uh, so much so that there's you can see the love triangle coming, but it's an interesting take on a love triangle where Wanda falls in love with this one boy and uh, Melanie has a relationship with another bo- boy, but of course the two of them in the same body, so yada, yada, yada. Um, and yeah, it's, it is that tropey. So I'm going to go with the host, not claiming it's good, but claiming it's just simply worth watching as the tropey epitome of the post-apocalyptic dystopian Hunger Grain genre. And it's probably the film that contributed to, to it dying. <laughs> I'm just looking it up. I, I've never, never even heard of this. I'm just looking Nobody it up on Wikipedia. It. And yeah, it's so Stephanie Meyer wrote a novel. Uh, yes. several years before the film and the film's based on, so she didn't actually write the film but it's based no. on that novel but the film was written and directed by Andrew Nichol who you know made things like Gattaca he wrote the Truman Show uh, made Lord of War so you know not a bad filmmaker by any means no 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 and I'm gonna say the actual cinematography in this film is actually really good you can tell this is by a director that knew where to frame shots, the gorgeous shots. Again, this is tending to be a, a trend with me. Um, but give it a chance. Yeah, again, don't expect it to be good, but it's just, it's better than it has any right to be. Um, if you give it the fact that it's tropey and it's the epitome of this genre. It was also the last major film review of Roger Ebert to be published in his lifetime. What a strange little factoid there on Wikipedia. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> technically, yeah, technically this actually, this film actually made a profit, but that's because the budget was so small that um, basically if three people went and saw it, it, well, it would make a profit. And, and also, I just saw that, yeah, it was made for like some like 40 million and it made 60 million. When you take marketing into account, that's not a profitable film. That's not enough. No. So no, no, yeah, no. Wow, what a strange, what what a great choice. I'd like to say I'd never even heard of that. Yeah. So uh, if you do get the chance to see um, see it, um, I'd love to hear your thoughts. <laughs> All right. Well, before then, let's move on to Monty for round three. What have you got for us? I'm just going to draft Hudson Hawk. Guys. Oh, he's <laughs> One of the very first films that we did on Unjustly Maligned <laughs> with Dan Moran. Uh because he's not here, I am free to draft it here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sure. Hudson Hawk is a legendary flop that lost a ton of money and enraged critics. It won three Razzies for Worst Picture, Worst Director, and Worst Screenplay. And I'm here to inform you that, as usual, the Razzies do not know what they are talking about. Yep. Um, the problem with Hudson Hawk, I have always felt, is that people were expecting action, Bruce. Yes. Uh, Hudson Hawk came out in 1991. Die Hard 2 had come out the previous year. So we were like, yes, Bruce Willis is an action star. But also Bonfire of the Vanities came out in 1990. So people were like, maybe we're sick of Bruce Willis. What else does he have? (laughs) And what they got was comedy star Bruce Willis. Because Bruce is very funny. He was on Moonlighting. Moonlighting was a very funny show. Mm -hmm. But people forgot that because Die Hard was so exciting. I don't know. Hudson Hawk is a parody of spy movies, especially big-budget spy movies. Um, As an example of what I mean by that, the tones used to unlock his handcuffs at one point are from the movie In Like Flint, Uh, and they're later used in Austin Powers as a ringtone. That's a true fact. Um, Okay, 
Richard E. Grant and Sandra Bernhardt, right? They play the most incredibly over-the-top, top-of-their-lungs villains ever. And I find them very amusing. Now, I will say that Richard E. Grant does not find his performance amusing. In his book, With Nails, he has it. it's basically his film diaries. The chapter on Hudson Hawk is miserable. He hated working on this movie. Which, which is a shame because he's so great in it. Yes, he's amazing in it. I love him in this so much. I love Sandra Bernhardt in it. I love Danny Aiello in it. I love Danny Aiello in this movie. That says something. Um, I have this the novelization of Hudson Hawk, and it has an entire subplot that was cut out about a <laughs> monkey and a steering wheel for a, a boat. Um, I have seen Hudson Hawk so many times. In my uh, friend group, there's a statement, which is, Hudson Hawk is always okay. So whenever we can't decide what to watch, we ju- we would just watch Hudson Hawk. Um, <laughs> I think it is a genuinely good, funny movie that people just didn't get at the time. This is not an ironic statement. Hudson Hawk is a good movie I enjoy. I couldn't agree with you more. And yeah, I mean, Dan and I went into detail about it on the show, but yeah, uh, I love Hudson Hawk. And again, like you, I do not understand why people were so against it um because i just thought it was great it did it did exactly what it set out to achieve but as you say people didn't want that they were expecting die hard and they got moonlighting or something I will admit approaching that it's it kind of goofy that they sing songs to stay in sync while they're oh, no, doing that's cat the, i love that that's the best part because it's <laughs> yeah, so ridiculous it's silly and it's funny there's yeah. a scene where bruce is on a stretcher in an ambulance and the stretcher slides out. Now he's flying through traffic and here comes a toll booth, but he's got changed and he throws it and the thing goes up. It's great. It's very yeah. funny. It's throws not the dumb. coins into the toll booth cup at like when he's traveling at 30 miles an hour or something. Yeah. Face down on a stretcher. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> Your father earned a hundred dollars a week. Son of a bitch. I love that film so much. And yeah, Richard E. Grant's brilliant in it. Oh man, Hudson Hawk. All right, uh, I think we've run out of time, so we're going to have to do Bring Out Your Dead Chip. What else is on your list that you didn't get to draft? With the unjustly maligned alternate definition of a flop, uh, I'm uh, going to call out The Iron Giant, which did not do well in the um, in, at the box office, but really, you know, started Brad Bird's. Um, uh, career and uh, if you look at you know when when Ted Lasso has uh, sh- shows it on movie night for the team and he says everybody's going to be crying at uh, minute 70 or whatever you know yep, yep darn right <laughs> um, yeah, it's a perfect movie similarly on that bring out your dead list uh, for flops on the opening both Citizen Kane and It's a Wonderful Life were uh, commercial flops when they came out they achieved cult status um on their merits and 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 even though it's fashionable to um diss it's a wonderful life uh, by saying that george bailey is an awful human being i think the movie on some level actually knows that i i i love it's a wonderful life and citizen game but uh the one that i'm disappointed that we didn't get to is sort of the opposite of ghostbusters 2016 um it's uh maligned somewhat for its fan base um but I actually really like Fight Club. Um, oh. It was a it was a box it was a box office disappointment, 
and a lot of um, toxic bros took the wrong message from it. But how can you not appreciate a movie that opens up with the um, with the IKEA scene? Um, right. When, yeah. Um, you know, I think that movie is uh, a, got a little bit of self criticalness, a little bit of uh, um, that. Paul Verhoeven, Starship Troopers. It's, um, it, it, you know, it's criticizing the thing that it is promoting, but it's a, it's a smart movie, and I don't think that it uh, portrays its protagonist as a good guy. Yeah, I'll agree with that. Uh, Jean, what's on your list? I'm just gonna throw out a couple, um, but uh, that I really did get to my main ones. Um, and sniped only once, so I'm I'm happy. Um, Sorry, it's okay. I'm glad you picked it. Um, I'm gonna throw in Roland Emmerich, what, uh, who uh, an auteur whose work I never miss, um, and is mostly maligned. Uh, it's hard to pick one, but I'm gonna put 2012 in there. I liked oh. it. Oh wow! Um, yeah, I'll go with that. I thought it. I was <laughs> had a lot of fun. Uh, watching it, um, I, I, I'm not going to try to uh, defend the most recent one, Moonfall. That just was. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's just maligned and faintly maligned. Um, and I'm going to go another. Uh, I'm not going to pick all of it, but I'm going to say from the Twilight Saga, something that uh, even within the saga that I um, liked, Twilight um, New Moon. I am Team Jacob. I like werewolves. <laughs> I like Taylor Lautner, also unjustly maligned. And uh, if you don't love him, you should just find his Saturday Night Live hosting clip where he um, reenacts his time with Taylor Swift and uh, Kanye West um, at the uh, uh, the MTV Awards, I think it was. Anyway. Can I find it weird that he married someone named Taylor and she's also now named Taylor Lautner? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. I didn't know that. Anyway, I I love Taylor Lautner, so I like New Moon, and they're, you know, too bad if you don't. That's, uh, I think, uh, it's been more maligned um, by those vampire-loving people who are the Twilight fans. All right, Sarah, what's on your list? Okay, mine was a little bit longer. But I'll go through them. Um, Alita Battle Angel. Um, oh. They, they did well in the box office, but got pretty much crit- uh, negative reviews. But um, I loved yeah, it. Yeah. And I think it's getting a sequel entirely due to James Cameron, because James Cameron. Um, uh, Star Trek Nemesis. Um, yeah, wow. I know. That was the one I didn't go with. Um, but I love that film. Um, and um, we can actually have an episode on Star Trek Nemesis if you ever want to bring back it. I just, I'm just in my line. Um, John Carter, uh, 2012's John Carter. I actually really mm-hmm. enjoy that film. Um, Shawshank Redemption was what? a box office Shawshank flop. Redemption's beloved. Yeah, but it was a box office flop when it, it first was. came out. Was it? Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, same with Kingdom of Heaven. Which I regularly rewatch, um, which mm. uh, just an amazing period piece. Um, Children of Men. Um, was that a flop? That was a flop. Uh, 
Oh, wow. Uh, no, I love that. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I It's just so deep. That, yeah, again, another episode we could totally go into. Um, Chronicles of Riddick. Um, <laughs> no, uh, I'll go with you on that I, one. I like those. They're fun I movies. love that film. Yeah, it was the same reason I like Jupiter Ascending, I think. That's why I didn't talk about it this time, because it's it's just ridiculous amounts of world building that just like, why? Why? The unnecessary world building, yeah. Totally. Unnecessary <laughs> world building. Um, uh, and one that everyone's going to groan at, um, but I actually really enjoy it. Um, Green Lantern, the 2011. Um, <laughs> Commencing wow. the groan. Yes. Oh, yeah. Validly so. It's possibly one of the not good but fun films. Um, the Man from Uncle, the 2015 one. Oh, I liked uh, that. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Uh, again, total flop. Um, Tenant um, from 2020. Um, that was a flop, but that was a flop for um, yeah, pandemic that's reasons. Yeah, kind of for COVID reasons. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I kind of had that on the list, but I'm not go- I didn't go with it. Terminator Dark Fate. Um, really enjoyed that one. Um, A Wrinkle in Time, which was a box office flop, but seriously, that film is just, the visuals are incredible. I I don't understand why that was a flop because it's such a beloved book and so many people were looking forward to it and then nobody actually seemed to go and watch it. Yeah, I know. I don't understand why that is a flop. It's just, I, I... yeah, I don't know. Um, and then a weird one that was a flop, but every nerd loves it. So I was going to put it, I put it on the list, was Titan AE. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So that was my, mm. including the host, Jupiter Ascending, Hudson Hawk, and Solo, A Star Wars Story. That was the 17 films I had. Wow. All right, Monty, what's on your list? Uh, okay. Um, the first one is mortal engines kind of like uh, alita battle angel oh yeah uh, i loved mortal engines i don't remember much of the plot but i remember the visuals once they're inside the giant machines that power these moving cities i thought mortal engines was a ball uh it says here popeye i will direct people to my episode of unjustly maligned for a extended defense of popeye i will just briefly say popeye is good it's directed by Robert Altman. You guys should give it another chance. I still don't uh, like it. <laughs> I, that's fine. Um, two that I am calling maligned specifically by Roger Ebert because I'm still mad about it. Uh, Josie and the Pussycats, which he gave a half a star to. Oof. And Bring It On, which he gave two stars to. And his review reveals he did not even finish watching the movie. Roger Ebert, you <laughs> wow. were wrong. Josie and the Pussycats and Bring It On are both brilliant movies. Um, Cloud Atlas. I don't, I don't love Cloud Atlas, but I love that Cloud Atlas exists. If that makes sense, it's a really weird movie with a lot of big swings that some of them they should not have made. But you know, Cloud Atlas. I'm glad it's, it's out there. Uh, it's a pretty weird book. I like the Lone Ranger. Now oh. you can't talk about anybody who's in the Lone Ranger specifically, <laughs> and I realize that some very bad decisions were made. But the final train sequence, once the William Tell Overture kicks in, that sequence is amazing. I'll take your word for it. I've never seen it. Uh, uh. <laughs> uh, there's no reason to. <laughs> um, and apparently this was a f- flop, so I'm going to shout it out. The Master, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman oh. as uh, Ron Hubbard. Is that one about, you're right, yeah, 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 about um, Scientology and all that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really good. 
Well, thank you all. This has been a lot of fun. Um, and, uh, you know, especially fun to have a bit of nostalgia for an old show of mine, which is gone, but not quite forgotten. Um, I still occasionally get people asking me to bring it back. And I'm sorry, but I just, I do not have the time. But uh, I love that You just that people, need to stop writing successful novels. Uh, clearly. I, I just love that people still, you know, still have that fondness for it. That's uh, That means a lot to me. I saved my pick for six years. And all I could think <laughs> is if somebody else picks Waterworld, I'm, I'm going to just quit the podcast. I'll be disconnected mysteriously. Oh, that, that would have been amazing. <laughs> all right well that is the end of this podcast so thank you to my guest this time around chip thank you for being here it's a pleasure anthony gene thank you for being here finally got to fan out on so many things that i haven't i've been holding back all these years thanks for that <laughs> no thank you for doing so and sarah thank you i feel like i only just got started that's always the way with these drafts isn't it yeah there's never enough time and of course monty thank you for being here Thank you for having me, Anthony. It was a pleasure. And thanks to you all out there for listening. I'm Anthony Johnston, and we'll see you next time here on The Incomparable. Bye for now. <laughs>